You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. It is so interesting to me to talk to people about this time of pandemic. It has been crazy. It has certainly changed all of our lives. Uh, And it's interesting as I begin to talk to people that I often hear a duality. And some of you understand what I'm talking about. On one hand, people will say like, oh, this social distancing is so isolating and I can't believe it. And then in the next sentence, they'll be like, but I've actually enjoyed like the change of pace in my life. They'll say like, I want to get back to normal, but I've actually enjoyed maybe working from home a little bit. The introverts are like, we loved the social distancing at first, but after a while I realized I need people, but not too much. And then other people will talk about, hey, I'm super extroverted. I need people in my life all the time. And they're actually watching their regular rhythm and routine change and finding time to slow down, even time to be with God. And so there's this duality that happens. Isn't that funny about human nature that we think we want to be at one end or the other? And the truth is that God wants to reach you and me in this time of pandemic in our heart to experience deep union with him in a unique way. One possible benefit has been that families to some degree have been forced to be together. And in that context, maybe families have had deeper conversations about priorities in life about values in life. If we have navigated the things that we see happening in our culture and the things we see happening in the world and in our news, that we've had to have conversations with our kids. We've had conversations with coworkers or friends about all these things and and people are reaching and seeking for the truth. They've been lied to. People are looking for truth. And one of the benefits is that oftentimes parents are slowing down enough to be able to have conversations about things that really matter with their kids. But there's a duality that as they're having a conversation with their kid, they know that there's a fine line between I can push it here before they roll their eyes. I can talk to them this much and then I got to watch and make sure that the relationship is there so that they'll continue wanting to listen to what I have to say. It reveals that there are times that you and I have a fine line. We have challenges in how we communicate to our kids or to our coworkers or to our friends. How do we get their attention and hold it to reach the heart of your teen or reach the heart of your preteen or reach the heart of your child? Now, if you don't have kids, then you're gonna say, how do I get to get the attention and hold it for a coworker, for a roommate, for a friend? Now, many of you would say, I don't know how to make the bridge. I don't know how to make a bridge. I'm not an engineer. I don't know how to make a bridge to the truth. I don't know how to make a bridge to that conversation. I don't know how to make a bridge to the heart of my teen or my kids or my coworkers without them rolling their eyes. It's like talking sometimes in a foreign language, isn't it? When you listen to your kids and what they talk about and the things that they're exposed to in the world as maybe compared to what your generation was. And there are some parents who are like, it just seemed like my generation just seemed to be so much more open to the gospel than this young generation is now. And to be certain, kids have two worlds. They have one world, which is their physical reality world, a a relationship with their parents, their siblings, the place where they live, maybe even the place where they attend school. But on the other hand, they have a silent world, one that preaches to them all the time, that comes through their cell phone, that comes through the media, 
that comes through the opinions of others, that comes through being always available to people through text and chat and media. And they've learned that hope can be uncertain, not really to trust it. They realize that life is uncertain. This year has made all of us aware of that, that life is uncertain. And many kids will think this about their parents. They'll say, listen, if you were born last century, you know, in the 19s, then you're old. You're old. And it's almost like trying to say, how do I build a bridge to reach the heart of my child who's surrounded with this other flow of information that, that wants to ostracize me as an influence in their life? And how do I make a bridge? How do I build a bridge to the truth? Because in fact, the truth matters. Here's why you need this sermon. If you're a parent and I'm a parent, you know that many times we feel frustrated in trying to talk to your kids about Jesus. And some of you are not a parent. If you're not a parent, here's why you need this sermon. You need this sermon because you need to know how to build a bridge to talk about Jesus with the people in your life. On the screen is a uh, map of Thessalonica to Athens. Paul is on his first missionary journey. And as he's on this missionary journey, he is going around, he's going to different places. And among them, he is going to the town of Thessalonica. And in the chapter, Acts 17, that we're looking at today, this is gonna highlight three different cities that Paul and his compadres go to. And first, they go to the city of Thessalonica. Then they're gonna transfer down to Berea. Then they're gonna face opposition in different areas. And then they're gonna go all the way south. They're gonna go all the way down to Athens. And so the chapter picks up for us as they're in Thessalonica. If you have your Bible, open with me to Acts 17, beginning with verse four. It says, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in their city. Now, they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. So what happens? They're preaching the good news. There are some who accept it, but there are others who are jealous. And so what do they do? They try to go grab Paul and Silas, but he's staying at Jason's house, but guess what? They're not home. So they in fact grab Jason and his family. They bring him into the public courts. They try to cause trouble and a riot in the city. Well, Paul and Silas, they have left. They've gone another way. They've gone south to Berea. And I want you to know that sometimes when you bring and you're trying to build a bridge to the truth, that there will always be those who attack God's message and God's church. However, this dialogue about Jesus is gonna continue. It's gonna continue through all ages. It's never going to stop, even in the face of disagreement or attack or defamation, in persecution or in pandemic, the gospel will continue to be told and spread into all the earth. I spoke to a young adult this week who was sharing that he had been going through a time and really struggling with his faith in Christ during this time of pandemic. And he was frustrated. He was like, I, I'm, I have things I grew up with in my beliefs. I have other beliefs I've heard from other people. And, and as I'm walking through these things in my head and I'm trying to pursue God a little bit in my heart, I just am feeling like God doesn't talk to me. God doesn't like talk to me or share. I don't know if this is real. I don't know if this is true. And so what he did is he called up a friend and he said, listen, I don't want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to be in this group anymore. I, I just, I'm done. I just don't even be like, just give me some space. And, and this 
person, the group leader came and said, hey, what should I do with my friend? And we said, well, give him some space. Extend relationship. Like just if he's on this journey of looking at other things and, and frustrated, let him, let him be frustrated. Respect that. But still extend friendship and do that. And so he started to extend friendship. And after a time, this young man asked to get back into his circle group, asked to get back into the dialogue. And as I spoke to him this week, he, he felt like he wasn't hearing from God. So he gave God an ultimatum to try to force the issue. He said, and he's giving me permission to tell you this. He said, basically, I just felt like I'm not hearing from God. So God, I'm going to force you by running away from you in a sense to talk to me because I need to know how to build a bridge to the truth. And when he found out that that doesn't really work and that's kind of playing games with God, he realized I need to be back in the dialogue. Instead of persecuting or pushing back at God, I need to go back. And so this week even, he enjoyed an extended time alone with God. See, there's always gonna be people who persecute. There's gonna be other people who roll their eyes, other people who reject. But our walk and pursuing with God is a constant pattern of building a bridge to the truth. And that was the case of the people in Thessalonica. The bridge started to get built. There were some who received it, but others wanted to stop the construction project. They went down to Berea. In Berea, in Acts 17, it says this, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And they received the message with great eagerness. And they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Isn't that a beautiful description that they received the message eagerly, but they're gonna cross check it. They're gonna reference it. They're gonna say, I hear, I want to know the truth. I'm gonna examine it. And you need to know that your kids in this day and age need an open dialogue to see if what you say is true. No longer are the days because of respect of a position or respect of parents would kids just simply listen and buy in and agree with what you have to say. They're gonna cross check it. They're gonna check the internet. They're gonna look at social media. They're gonna get dissuaded and, and led away by self-proclaimed experts as they're trying to explore the truths of Christianity. And this is why it's essential. Let me just speak to you as a, as a dad. Let me speak to you as a parent. Let me speak to you as a dad who had to make decisions about what his kids do as pastor's kids in a church as they're growing up. And what we decided is this, it's essential not to allow your kids to choose whether they go to church or not. Don't let them choose. As long as they're living in your house, as long as they're under your roof and you're their parent and you're helping to train or shape their appetites, they still have choice. They still have to choose Jesus. They still have to discern. But as long as you are their parent, you and I must choose to keep our kids in the dialogue. Keep them in it. You're helping your children. What are you doing as a parent? You're helping them build a bridge to the truth. And what happens all too often is that their parents, you're building a bridge to the truth of your kids, then you let them choose to get off the construction project. So instead of it being a bridge to the truth, what it does is they get to the end of a pier over water and they spend the rest of their lives fishing everywhere out there for truth, fishing for what will satisfy, fishing for significance in their lives because they haven't walked and stayed in the dialogue 
regarding the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. See, parents get afraid. Well, if I keep them in the dialogue, then I will, I will force them to reject God because they just don't like having to be there. I would disagree. I would say that if you let them exit the dialogue, you almost guarantee that their heart will wander if you and I don't follow through with that leadership. That they need an opportunity to explore the issues of Christianity and explore every day to see if what Paul or the Bible or their pastor or their church says is true. And they need to have a place in that dialogue. And that's really important for us. And so we're gonna look, as we continue to look at this scripture, we're gonna say, Paul's giving us some secrets here. He's giving you and I some clues about how to build a bridge to have a conversation about the truth. He's saying that there's some work that's gotta be done first so that we can actually open the scriptures or have a dialogue with people. We gotta build this bridge to the truth first. And many parents feel frustrated. How in the world do I build that bridge if they're gonna roll their eyes? How, many, how am I gonna build the bridge if they say they don't wanna to go to church? Or maybe they say, oh, I, I don't want to go to adult church. I just wanna be with youth. Or the, all the excuses that come up that kind of are a way of them saying like, hey, I just honestly just wanna exit the dialogue. How do you and I build the truth? And I think uniquely in Acts 17, we watch how Paul enters a place with foreign cultures and foreign language, foreign gods, foreign things that people worship, and we begin to see a pattern. How did he build a bridge to begin to have a dialogue about the truth? So he goes from Thessalonica where he faces opposition. He goes to Berea and was there for a while, but then opposition came from Thessalonica, stirred everybody up. Then they say, hey, we're gonna go down to Athens. And Paul goes first. And in Acts 17, verse 16, it says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him into a meeting of the Areopagus and where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. See, at first, there are people who will be dismissive about what you say. You start talking about religion. You start talking about your walk with Jesus. You start talking about that. And what happens? People get dismissive. Why? Because they think your ideas are strange. Your ideas are weird. Your ideas are odd. They're, they're religious. We're not sure about that. But what I want you to understand, even as you're making a bridge to your kids or your coworker or your friends, is that you need to give your strange ideas time to lose their strangeness. At first they said to Paul, these are strange ideas. But because he persisted, because he kept the dialogue open, they said, hey, listen, you, we'd like to hear more on this because these strange ideas are new to us. We want to know what they mean. And all too often, I think parents or friends or Christians walk away from extending the truth or the dialogue with a friend or a coworker or their kids 
because it just seems like they roll their eyes or they say, that's just too strange for me. or I'm just really not interested. And it's so interesting that in a time of pandemic, I believe that those who were formerly disinterested in the gospel are suddenly open and interested to what used to be your strange ideas. They may wanna hear more about this. Why? Because the world's changed. Their comforts have changed. You're building a bridge to the truth. Well, how do you do it? What did Paul do when he came to this new city? He came to this city and looked around. What did he do? And I want you to write this down. What do you do when you're building a bridge? Study their interests and take notice of their gods. Doesn't matter if it's your friend, doesn't matter if it's your relative, doesn't matter if it's your child, but you need to wade in. See, back in the 80s, what we used to do is we used to put posters on the wall. We just said, these are our gods. So we put up our favorite like rock band posters and we put up posters of athletes and other things. You'd have like Michael Jordan on the wall and you'd have, you know, Def Leppard on the wall. And these would be like, and a parent could walk in their room, in their kid's room, and they would instantly see, what does my kid worship? Nowadays, it's all on the screen, so it's kind of hidden. It's, it's foreign. It's not there. And you, you have to wade in and begin to observe and study the interests of your child. Study the interests of your friends. Take notice of what their gods are. You say, well, what do you mean they're gods? I mean this. What do they worship? See, everybody worships something. The question is, what do you worship? And there's no shortage. People worship sports. They worship music. It might be self. They might worship fame. I'm just all about fame. They might worship money. They might worship cars. They might worship fishing. They might worship pleasure. They might worship social justice. They might worship politics or movies or gaming. There's no shortage of things for people to worship, but you can take notice and study what their gods are. You must identify them and you must acknowledge what their gods are to them, but discuss that there is in fact a deeper, permanent and more meaningful way of life in surrendering yourself to Jesus Christ and his offer of forgiveness and his offer to make you a new creation and his offer of wholeness for our soul that other things simply can't satisfy. Let me show you a photo here. This is a photo. This would be you or me standing on the Parthenon in Athens, but we're looking down at a hill and we're looking down at this hill. This hill is the Areopagus. This is the place where they actually took Paul. This is a little hill. It's the place they actually took him to have this discussion, to hear more on this subject. And so it, you could go to Athens when social distancing is over and you can visit it and you could see it and be there and put your own feet on a very hill in a very real place that Paul actually preached this message that you're reading about in Acts 17 today that he preached right there. And so in Acts 17, 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious for as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. It's like they wanted to keep all the bases open, right? Just in case there's a, an unknown God we don't know about, we want to make sure we, we worship everything. But he says to them, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. He's acknowledged the gods that he's seen there. And I want you to notice that he doesn't instantly go and attack them. What do you think the outcome would be if Paul stood in the Areopagus and, and, and just simply attacked their gods? Do you think that the bridge to the truth would continue? Well, let me ask you, 
What do you think happens when you get together with your kids and you simply attack their gods? What do you think happens to the bridge of truth? Wouldn't it be very much the same reaction that people would have had had Paul just simply attacked other gods? What does he do? He acknowledges them without giving validity to them being the one true God. He says, there is a different way. There's a more significant way. There's a more satisfying way. There's a way to a God who's very, very real. See, Paul sought to argue for a better way to the longing of the human heart. And he goes on, he says this in verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by, or built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. And he quotes then, he quotes their Stoic philosopher, their uh, philosophers. He says this, for in him we live and move and have our being. He quotes the Cretan philosopher Epimenendez. And he says, then as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He quotes the Cretan Stoic philosopher Eratus. So what does he do? He, he's basically making this argument that God created the world from one nation and that he's caused you and me to reach for him. It's why we worship things, that there's something we're reaching out to this God. He's made himself to be known and he's made humanity to reach for him. And he validates it by the quotes in the culture of their philosophers. But then Paul goes into his message and he argues three things. And I want you to write these three things down. First, he argues that God is Lord of all. That God is Lord of all. He said that right there already. He's already gotten there and said, God is Lord of all. In verse, uh, Acts 17, verse 29, he says this, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. And in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So he begins to argue that God is Lord of all. And what is he saying? Listen, it's pointless to waste time worshiping a little icon, a little idol that is actually made by a craftsman or an, art or an artist. That we sit down and we begin to worship these little things. And, and, and it's amazing because even in our culture, even with your kids, man, they worship a little thing. It might be a little phone and that's their connectivity to the world. And it's amazing that, that it just doesn't last. That the desire for that doesn't last. Why? Because new ones come out. And then they're one, they're saying, this one I wanted so bad, it just doesn't satisfy anymore. There's something else. Like, I want the newest version. I want the newest with all these abilities because the old one doesn't satisfy. And time and again, the things that you or I worship in life will not satisfy. They don't last. And God is gonna cause the condition of the human heart to reach for him that he may be found by us through faith in Jesus. So he says, number one, God is Lord of all. He's not like a little idol that you go get in the marketplace. 
He doesn't have to live in a temple that people built. He can build things just fine on himself. Like he goes into this great explanation. Second, he says this, write this down. He says, life without God is empty. It's empty. Life without God is empty. I mean, consider a life that gets wasted by chasing empty things. In Ecclesiastes, the, the author says this, he, Solomon says, it's like a chasing after the wind. Like you're just not gonna get it. Life is frustrating. Life has portions of it that are so meaningless, even though we've given them great meaning. Life is pursuing a right world. Life is pursuing a world where justice works all the time. Life is pursuing a world that is perfect, a world that is improving. But what do we see? We see that creation is groaning right now, waiting for God to be the one to make all things right. We see that people are groaning right now, waiting for God to be the one to make all things right. We are asking God for justice and we are waiting and we are looking to people to ensure justice and our culture waits and it gets disappointed when people can't produce the justice that only God can. We're groaning. Life without God is empty. God doesn't want us trapped in the ignorance of just pursuing the things that everybody else pursues. He wants us to reach for him. The third thing that Paul argues, write this down is this, all of us need to turn to him. All of us need to turn to him. There are no exemptions. God will judge what you and I do with the truth about Jesus. He will hold people accountable and people need to know that. This is so interesting because most people think, well, if, if there's a heaven and I'm gonna get into it, I'm gonna get into it based on what I do. Like, do I do good things or did I do too many bad things? That's what they think. Like, it's my performance is gonna get me in or not. And they think I'm gonna be judged by what I've done. And Paul makes this argument that is so awesome in scripture and so consistent with the heart of God. He says this, quote, for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice. By the way, God's justice is always right. It's always perfect. There's nothing hidden from him. His justice is always good. It's always right. It's always faultless. It is perfect in the actual meaning of the word perfect. He's gonna judge the world. How is he gonna judge it? He's gonna do it very justly. There's not gonna be unfairness in God. It will be just justice. It's gonna be perfect, good, consistent, almighty justice. But what's the condition by which he judges people? People think it's by our behavior. But he says, God will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Who's that man? It's Jesus. And God's proven it to us by raising Jesus from the dead. So what's the condition by which God judges the world? It's Jesus. Have you ever had a teacher and, and maybe you had to write an essay or you had to take a test and, and at the end you didn't do very well and you were like, ah, I just... I just didn't know what the teacher wanted. Cause you knew like for certain teachers, you can kind of give them what they want. And maybe you're like on this test or on this essay, I just didn't know what the teacher wanted and I couldn't deliver it. Well, Paul is making it very clear here. What is God, the true God, the one and only, the almighty, what does he want? And how is he going to put you and I to the test? And the answer to that is he's gonna judge 
you and me. And what is the condition he's going to use? What's the qualification? He's going to judge you and me by the man he appointed. That is Jesus. What does that mean? It means that God's going to look at you and me and say, what did you do about putting your faith and trust in my son, Jesus? The one who died for your sin, the one who willingly suffered for you, the one who I raised from the dead, the one who I had ascend back up into heaven, the one who sits at my right hand and is part of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God. He's gonna say, what did you do in a sense with me, with Jesus? That's the condition. It's not how good were you, how bad were you? It's not, did you have good intentions? He's gonna say, what did you do with Jesus? See, there is no guarantee for any parent that your child is going to turn toward Jesus. You have to give them every opportunity and we hope and we definitely pray that they would make a right decision to turn toward Jesus. However, your children, your friends, your coworkers need to know that there is a guarantee for those who don't do anything with Jesus. They need to know that there is a guarantee that there is a God who will judge the entire world and he will judge that entire world, every person individually, based on what they did with Jesus. And for those who don't put faith and trust in Jesus, they need to know that they will experience the judgment of God and separation from him. They need to know that. So don't take them out of the dialogue just because it might make them uncomfortable. Don't remove them as you build the bridge of truth and help them build the bridge of truth toward Jesus. Keep them in the dialogue. In Acts 17, 32, it says this, when they heard about the resurrection from the dead, some of them sneered, like seriously? But others said, we wanna hear you again on this subject. We want to hear you again on this subject. I want you if you're a parent reaching to your kids, that the goal is not to convince them in an argument. The goal is that they would say, I wanna hear you again on this subject. And kids are gonna hear with their ears and kids are gonna hear with their eyes. They're gonna watch your life. They're gonna watch what you do. They're also gonna listen to what you say. But the goal is not to win the war in one conversation. The goal is to have an ongoing dialogue so that the condition of the human heart, even of your children or your coworker, your friend, your roommate, whoever, is that they will say, I wanna hear you again on this subject. And there are those who've turned uh, in the past, their ears closed to Jesus, but because of all that's going on in the world right now, because of their hunger for justice, their hunger for righteousness, their hunger for a world to improve and get better, because of any change in climate or any change in their human experience, they are looking for that which is everlasting and significant. And God is the only one who will renew our creation. God is the only one who will renew the creation of us. That is our body decays and perishes. He will bring us to new life. And maybe for you, you've never chosen that. And if that's you today, the way that you say yes to Jesus is this, is simply in a prayer, right where you are, just pray something like this. Jesus, today, I give you me. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried and God raised you from the dead. And so I acknowledge right now that you're my only hope, the only way to be saved and I give you all of me, I give you my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Make me a new creation today because Jesus 
I give you me. And if you prayed that prayer right now, God has received you into his forever family, that the, the wrongs that you and I have done are washed away, that you are made a new creation. You don't have to fear death and you can have joy. You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org.